Welcome and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Because of Grace with your host, Diana Carroll. Together through discussions, interviews, and Diana's devotional insights, we will plunge into the unsearchable depths of God's abundant grace. It is Diana's hope that through Bible-focused teaching, God will grant hope to the hopeless and rest to the weary. Now, here's Diana. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Diana Carroll, and this is Because of Grace, a radio program to give hope to the hopeless, rest to the weary, and encourage those who are discouraged. It's where we can find strength when we're weak and hurting, all because of God's grace. Our theme verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Today I would love to interest you in some history and how some saints of old were trusting in the mighty hand of God. I love history, especially when it involves the lives of Christians, present or past, and how they trusted in the mighty hand of God during the most difficult times of their lives. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. During our American Civil War, it was in the twilight hour, which is difficult to see then. General Jackson and his staff were returning from an inspection at the front lines near Chancellorsville when they were fired upon by some Confederate soldiers who mistook them for the enemy. A bullet struck Jackson, shattering the bone above his left shoulder. On May 2, 1863, General Thomas Jonathan Jackson, better known as Stonewall Jackson of the Confederate Army, was so seriously wounded that they had to amputate his left arm the following day. Soldiers had to take him to Gunny Station, Virginia, to keep him safe. General Jackson never lost hope in his Lord. He was firm in his faith and called Christ his shepherd, the guardian of his soul, even through the most challenging times. Stonewall Jackson said, My religious belief teaches me that I am just as safe on the battlefield as I am in my own bed. The Lord has already appointed the day of my death, so I need not worry about that. I live my life and prepare myself so I will always be ready to meet my Lord when death does overtake me. While Jackson was in a field hospital, General Lee wrote to him, saying, and I quote, Could I have directed events, I would have chosen for the good of the country to be disabled in your stead. General Robert E. Lee loved General Jackson and knew of his strength of character, one of his greatest attributes. General Stonewall Jackson would have recovered from his gunshot wound if pneumonia had not set in. On May 10, 1863, he died. He was only 39 years old. In case you're wondering, the Bible does speak of an appointed time given to each of us, that we will die. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, 
So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So, should we be afraid of something tragic or unforeseen happening to us? Or maybe a better question would be, will I be afraid? 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Matthew 10.28 says, And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What would you do if your friends were being killed for their faith in God? Would you try to help them? What if you didn't even know the people being persecuted? Would you be willing to risk your own life and the lives of your family to save them? That's a hard question. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If this kind of a situation came into your life, you could depend on God to guide, strengthen, and hold you up. It wouldn't be because of your strength you could help someone in need, but because of his power made perfect in weakness. Recently, I watched the play The Hiding Place. It had been made into a movie, so I went to see it with some dear friends. My heart was stirred to think that the Ten Boom family and their strong desire to rescue Jews from the shocking Holocaust of World War II. Their home became a refuge for fugitives hiding from the Nazis. Caspar Ten Boom, the father, Willem Ten Boom, his son, and his two daughters, Betsy and Corey, risked their lives protecting these people. Nazi Germany invaded the Netherlands on May 10, 1940. As the Nazis took control of most of Europe, a Dutch woman named Corrie Ten Boom and her family began to hide Jews and refugees from the would-be Holocaust. They could have assisted the Gestapo and received a reward for their support, but instead they concealed as many Jewish people as possible. This choice put their family at significant risk, and later they paid dearly for it. After they decided to hide the Jewish people in need, they built a hiding place in Corey's bedroom. It was a secret room, no larger than a small wardrobe closet, behind a false wall. The space could hold up to six people, all of whom had to stand quiet and still. The Ten Boom family installed a crude ventilation system to provide air for those waiting. When security sweeps came through the neighborhood, a buzzer in the house would signal danger, allowing the refugees a little over a minute to seek refuge in the secret hiding place. One particular day, a day no one will forget, Corey was awakened by screams and feet running towards her room. She'd been sick for several days with a nasty flu. The high fever made her sluggish and tired, so Corey stayed in bed hoping to feel better in the morning. At first, she thought it was one of the many drills they had practiced to hide the Jews who now lived with her family, but this time it was not a drill. 
on February 28, 1944, a night they would never forget. They were raided by the secret police. The ten booms were arrested, and the German soldiers thoroughly searched their house. That night would mark the beginning of many horrifying events that would take place in prison. They never found the half-dozen Jews safely concealed. In the hiding place, the six of them stayed in the cramped space for nearly three days before being rescued by the Dutch underground. All the Tin Boom family members were incarcerated, including Corey's 84-year-old father, who soon died in prison. It has been said that the Tin Boom family rescued nearly 800 Jews from the Nazi Holocaust. Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to the notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp near Berlin. They slept in beds infested with fleas and ate stale bread with a watered-down soup. The Nazis put numbered tattoos on their arms instead of names. Corey's indelible number mark was 66730. In the year 2000, I went to uh, Germany on a trip to Romania, and we stopped off in Dachau, Germany, to view the concentration camp there. The German people had started to tear down the concentration camp, but some of the German townspeople wanted to restore the buildings so they could never forget what they were capable of doing. Row after row of barracks foundations were still there where Jewish prisoners and others were once housed. The majority of prisoners were Jewish, but there were some gypsies, common criminals, captured Soviet soldiers, and political prisoners waiting to be executed. The Nazis were people who would seek to impose their views on others in a very harsh and inflexible way. I remember going down a long street or lane and around the corner behind a gated fence was a crematoria area where thousands of souls were sent that died of disease, starvation, or execution. It was a gloomy, overcast day with the chill of death in the air, and a day I will never forget. The people made replicas of what was once there and had pictures hung in a separate building to show that Dachau, what Dachau once looked like. I wanted to read every inscription, but my family lured me away and hurried me off. <laughs> One day in the Ravensbrück concentration camp, a guard took Corey to the doctor to get some medicine for the high fever and cough she had. How surprised she was when the nurse asked if she could get anything else for her. Corey asked for a Bible and received only a portion of the New Testament, the four Gospels. It would have been serious if she had been caught with them, but having a Bible was worth any possible punishment. The Lord allowed Corey to survive all the gruesome and painfully horrid circumstances of her imprisonment with encouragement from the Word of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The women of Corey's barracks became very thankful for the fleas they had in their beds, blankets, and clothing. None of the guards would dare enter the barracks because they didn't want to be infested by them. 
That meant they could read the Bible and pray without fear that the guards would interrupt them. Unfortunately, Betsy, Corey's sister, died in Robinsbrook on December the 16, 1944. Just 12 days later, Corey was released for reasons not entirely known. Some say there was a mistake made in the prison paperwork, but we know God makes no mistakes in his purposes or plans. Now she's starting over. I don't know how I would feel being released from a prisoner of war camp. I think I would kind of feel lost or out of place. But not Corey. She set up a rehabilitation center for concentration camp survivors and began a worldwide ministry that took her to more than 60 countries. She received many tributes, including being knighted by the King of the Netherlands. Corey gave her testimony around the world. But on one occasion, she faced something she never thought would happen. A guard from Ravensbrook was in the congregation where she was speaking. Corey recognized him in the crowd as they came out of the basement. She had given, she had just given her testimony on God's forgiveness and saw him coming towards her. She immediately flashed back to the memories of the prison camp with her dear sister Betsy. They were in a big open room when they first saw him. Betsy and Corey's first encounter with this man was a horrifying one. They had to shamefully walk naked before him to find some clothes to wear. In the middle of a huge, brightly lit room were piles of clothes and shoes for the women to search through randomly in total humiliation. The cruel guard from the prison camp finally reached Corey and spoke to her. He said, you mentioned uh, Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. He said he didn't remember Corey, but wanted her to know that he had become a Christian since that time in Ravensbrook. He had asked God to forgive him for all the horrible things he had done there and wanted to ask Corey to forgive him in person. Oh, wow. I don't know. <sighs> that would be really hard. He put out his hand, and immediately Corey was faced with this question. Will you forgive me? It must have seemed like an eternity that she stood there looking at the man and saying to herself, I must forgive as Christ has forgiven me. When she put her hand in his, healing took place in her heart, bringing tears of forgiveness to her, heart, to her eyes. With touching emotion, Corey responded, Yes, I forgive you with all my heart. Though the Bible commands us to forgive, I'm not sure it's always obeyed. Resentment, bitterness, or plain old rebellion enters the heart and we refuse to forgive. Have you ever made these statements? Well, if they come to me and say that they're sorry, then I'll forgive them. Or, I will never forgive them for what they have done to me. Not ever. If I forgive them, then I'm letting them off the hook. I want revenge. Are these the things that you would have said openly or repeated to yourself in the private recesses of your heart? To forgive 
is the means God uses to free you from all the suffering, agony, and pain that unforgiveness brings. No one is ever off God's hook, and the Bible is clear when saying we should not seek vengeance, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Is there someone in the secret place of your heart you're not willing to forgive? I plead with you to reconsider what God has commanded you to do and forgive them. Don't allow your unforgiving spirit to turn you over to the tormentors, the severe disciplining hand of God. If you want to know more, read Matthew 18:21 through 35. I'm going to read a portion of that scripture now. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's a lot. It's easy to fear man and not to forgive when we do not allow God to strengthen us during adversity and tremendous heartache. God is concerned with every part of our being. and We can trust in his loving care to do more for us than we could ever achieve on our own. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, Ephesians 3.20. One last historical account and a question that one may ask when in deep despair, in the midst of all their pain and suffering, and produced out of the hopelessness they felt, they may ask or say, and for what? Psalms 1.30, and 2 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Out of the depths is an unbelievable story of the men who survived the sinking of the USS Indianapolis during World War II. Edgar Harold, USMC, co-author and survivor of the Indy, the crew proudly called her made this statement, What a colossal waste of lives and resources, and for what? He recalled the suicide mission of the Japanese kamikaze pilots and how the Japanese soldiers and officers considered the emperor of Japan to be God. They worshipped him. They thought it was their duty and honor to willingly give their lives to the emperor. Captain Charles B. McVeigh, was in command of the USS Indianapolis during World War II. A Japanese kamikaze plane would fly into the Indianapolis, but not destroy her. It was a miracle that they suffered moderate damage. The Japanese bomber blew two gaping holes in the ship's bottom and flooded the compartment, killing nine crew members. They left the Pacific front to have the ship repaired at Hunter's Island in San Francisco. Suddenly, all leaves were canceled, and the men aboard the Indy knew the ship was not fully repaired and tested for full use. But nonetheless, Captain McVeigh was ordered to get underway immediately. There was an obvious tension in the air combined with secrecy and confusion. 
The only new crates were loaded onto the ship, and they were to deliver the top-secret cargo to the island of Tinian. I quote, None of us aboard the Indianapolis had any idea that the mysterious cargo we had just unloaded on the island of Tinian was the most devastating weapon in the history of the world, the atom bomb. After the USS Indianapolis successfully delivered their top-secret cargo, she was torpedoed six times. The beloved Indy sank into the depths of the Philippine Sea. What tragedy occurred in the last minutes while the ship was afloat? The massive cruiser submerged in only 12 minutes with 1,197 men aboard. An estimated 300 men went down with the ship, 897 thrown or jumped into the oil-blackened waters of the sea. Edgar Harrell was the last Marine survivor of the USS Indianapolis. As Edgar jumped from the sinking ship in desperation, he cried out to the Savior of his soul. It became clear to this young seaman that God, at that moment, would be the Savior of his life as well. The men in the water were subject to overwhelming shark attacks, unbelievable dehydration, and severe hunger. After four and a half days in the turbulent, death-lurking waters, the men that survived, approximately 317, were rescued. The shark-infested waters had not consumed all of them. They cried out of the depths of the sea, and the Lord, our Rescuer and Redeemer, had mercy upon them, Psalms 131 and 2. Psalms 118.6 says, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Proverbs 29.25 and 26. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. How often do we experience the crippling effects of fear? What circumstances or situations send us into uncontrollable waves of anxiety? Can we let go of this overwhelming fear? Are we afraid of what might happen? Does the fear of man have such power over our lives that it paralyzes us to despair? We are encouraged through the Word of God to depend upon God's power, which keeps us from the fear of man. As we cast all our worries on the Lord and prepare ourselves for battle, let us never forget who our enemy is. Satan's purpose on this earth is to blind, discourage, and destroy God's people. Satan tries to undermine God's character and wants us to doubt him, his word, and his magnificent power. Casting all our anxieties upon Christ will help us resist doubt and other temptations, 1 Peter 5, 7. Resisting Satan is a conscious obedience, trusting God, and refusing to give in to fear. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Lord, may we come boldly to your throne of grace to find help during our time of great need. We thank our listeners for being with us today. Our goal here on Because of Grace is to point you to Christ, our only hope for salvation, and to rest in Him and His extraordinary gift of eternal life. 
We need to trust that He has everything under control. Until we meet again, may our Lord bless you as you serve Him because of His amazing grace. Thank you for joining us for Because of Grace with Diana Carroll. We trust that through our study of God's Word and His abundant grace, you've received hope and rest to your weary soul. For more information about Diana and her ministry, visit dianasdiary.com. That's dianas, with two N's, diary.com. You can also revisit this broadcast via Spotify and check out Diana's two-minute devotional, Discovering Grace, as well. It's been a privilege being with you today, and until next time, rest in the goodness of God's grace. Because of Grace is a ministry of Diana Carroll and a production of Key Radio.